Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. This is where I get to interview people with amazing life stories, where we discuss tools for living our best life stories. And really often we get both at the same time, like today. Today, I bring you Tally Davis Ware from Ohio. She is a life and personal development coach that focuses on empowering leaders to create profound impact centered in joy. Now, I know Tally, and I've worked with her, and she truly impersonates that joy. She is a lovely, bright soul that spreads her smile and happiness wherever she goes, which is part of what helps her connect so well with people. She's also a mom, a ballroom dancer, and a leader of retreats. But the reason I've asked her on the show today is that she has a really interesting life story that involves living in a religious community, separating out of that community, divorcing her minister husband and making her way into a life of purposeful creation and to where she is today and taking in that story that journey of the highs and lows of that is a really interesting life space and interesting hero's journey that I wanted to share with you so stay tuned for her story and some tips on mindset joy regardless of circumstances and a few inside coaching tips from Tally. are our lives in language. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. I'm Lori Lee, and I'm excited for our future together of telling stories, evaluating our own stories, and lifting ourselves and others to greater places because of our control over our stories. This podcast is about empowerment and giving you, the listener, ideas to work with in making your stories work for you. Story power serves you best when you know how to use it. Welcome to the Love Your Story podcast. Hi there. Thanks for having me. It's great to be with you guys. Super happy to have you here. And I want to start out at the beginning of your transformational story. Can you take us to who you were and what life was like being a part of that religious community and that space where you um, that you transitioned out of in becoming who you are today? Who were you then? What did that look like? Yeah, so I... Um... I was married to the senior leader, and we we really planted that community uh, 2001, and just had vision for what it would be like to create an experience for people, kind of the, the experience that you have when you go on a mission trip, and everybody is all in, and you're giving out of who you are, and you're serving, and you're really impacting people, and you're doing it together as a beautiful team. So that was a lot of what we really wanted to embody. And so we actually decided what if, you know, what if we all moved down to a particular area that we feel really called to. And so we all sold houses and broke leases and we all moved down to this one area together. We were in probably, I don't know, six square blocks within um, that area. I would say probably 30 plus families. Where was this at? Was this in Ohio? This is in Ohio, yeah. A really cool area down in the short north. And uh, so it was a really amazing, amazing experience from 2001 until about 2012. And it was just building, building a connection, building community, building um, what does it look like to have a real impact on the, on the people there. It was a very diverse area. What was this? What was your religion? And um, what were some of those impacts that you had that were really meaningful? 
Yeah, so it's a non-denominational religion, um, just community church. And some of the impact was, it was really cool. It's a very diverse area. So you had, you know, Section 8 housing, kind of in the same area as Million Dollar Homes, a lot of professionals, um, very diverse, very diverse area, really cool. And so we did things like start after school programs for some of the Section 8 housing, um, go around and do like yard work for these single moms that had six, seven kids and were trying to make it. Um, we would do, I mean, all kinds of things we would do. We had a space down there. We called the third place. That was really cool where we had art gallery nights and just invited the neighborhood in. And we did all kinds of things. It was a really, it was a really beautiful 12 years in so, so many ways. Uh, simultaneously I had, uh, I was a mom to three kids homeschooling them. And several of the moms in the area also did that. So we shared that. It was really cool. Just a, a beautiful experience in, in a great many ways. Very what, powerful. What were your biggest takeaways? Or what was mm. one of the things that you learned most or loved most? Yeah, I would say for me, it's, it's raising up leaders, seeing the, seeing the gifts that are in people and then drawing those things out and helping them launch into who they're most truly made to be, seeing them come alive to those things and, and live out of that place. Okay. So I, I just have to say this because I know everybody's thinking it. It's really kind of bizarre or different or not done very often that a bunch of people are just going to say, hey, let's kind of all sell our houses and move to one neighborhood and sort of communish. I don't know. What's the impetus behind that? Just wanting like-minded people to work together. And, and what'd you say it was? 12 years that you were doing this? Uh, t- 11, 12 years, something like that. Yeah. See, that's a long time for a group of people to stay together and stay focused like this. Like, what were some of the difficulties of that? Mm, you know, some of those came more in, in some of the leadership dynamics. I would say those were probably the, the most challenging things. Um, a lot of the rest of it just really worked, honestly, like raising our kids together and, and really um, being a light, being being a loving force for good in, you know, an area that we really felt called to. So many of those things work. So I would say some of the leadership dynamics were the most challenging. Such as what? Give me specific. Um, <laughs> gosh, I don't want to call anybody specifically out. It's just uh, a lot of turnover of leadership, I would say. Okay. So that was challenging. So what was it that broke up this commune after 12 years? Um, it, it was, it's back to that. It's back to some of the dynamics of leadership. I would say not having a lot of freedom for people to, to think something other than what, what we were doing. Not a lot of freedom for people to come in and out of it. Not a lot, just a lack of freedom, I would say. Yeah. And so how did it all dissolve then? Um, it actually didn't completely dissolve. It kind of got passed off. So I think it's still going, actually, to some degree. Um, I think most people that were there when I was there are not there anymore. But, um, you know, a lot of it, <laughs> a lot of it was, it just got to be really, some of, it, some of the dynamics got to be very unhealthy. It was, it was kind of emotionally, spiritually, it got to be toxic. So I think- So is that why you left? That's why I left, yeah. It just, I felt like I couldn't, um, in good conscience, keep being a part of the leadership team 
when people were looking to me and trusting me and you know i just was like i can't where this is going is like a hard right and i need to go <laughs> the other way you know i think when people aren't free to say what they think when people aren't free to have boundaries and have those respected or responded to and why weren't they free to be to do those things what would happen yeah. I think ultimately there's just fear in the leadership. I think it's just there's control and there's fear and that's what's at the root of it. So what kind of control? How would how would these people be controlled? I don't want to get into too many details because I really don't want to call anybody out or make any like dishonor anyone specifically. There's just there's breakdown in in um healthy leadership, I would say. Obviously, whenever you're dealing with people um, in um, and specifically in groups like this, there are power dynamics. But mm-hmm. but what does that look like um, specifically in, in this situation that, um, how were people controlled? Were they ostracized? Were they hurt? Or, you know, what happened if they had different thoughts than what the leadership had? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, ostrac- yeah, ostracized, made to look wrong or bad. A lot of it was spiritual, you know, using, using what God says or what someone feels like God is saying or scripture or things getting twisted. So, yeah, I mean, people made to look wrong, be made wrong, um, like a subtle ostracizing of that person like we need to turn them over to their own thing and they can't associate that kind of thing just a lot of bullying kind of behavior okay and so that's why you left because you didn't want to be a part of that it just got to be very 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 unhealthy and the more the more healthy boundaries I tried to put in the more control kind of clamped down it just got to be incredibly unhealthy So is this when you got divorced? When you left? Um, actually, it was probably a year and a half after that. So we were separated for about a year and a half. I was really believing there was going to be healing and restoration. And just, I don't really believe in divorce. You know, I'm like super loyal to the end kind of thing. So I was really hanging in there and believing for there to be a shift. But there needed to be some change in order for me to go back home. So I was actually living, my parents have an apartment connected to their house and I was living there. And it was, gosh, I don't know, maybe a year into this and then he filed for divorce. And I was kind of like, eh, like no. And then found out more and more details around things. And I was like, gosh, I just, and nothing was shifting, nothing was changing. So yeah, ended up, uh, I think it was like 18 months later or something like that. So where'd you have to go to get through that? What kind of inner strength and things mm. did it take? And and feel free to share the emotion of that part of your journey. That's that's yeah. big stuff. Yeah, it was a lot of loss, kind of all at the same time. I I from my sophomore year in high school, I was really clear that I was made to raise up leaders and pour into people and see them developed into that that whole thing that I said earlier about helping people come alive to who they most truly are and really have an impact on the world for good. And 
doing it in the context of ministry was the only model I really had in front of me for what that might look like. I kind of considered counseling and then I was like, that's eh, not quite it. Ministry seemed like it fit most of the things I was really longing for and wanting to live out of. Um, so it was a lot of, it was a losing a lot of that all at the same time. You know, it was the loss of what I always believed our family was going to be. It was the loss of, you know, who I, I felt like my best friend was loss of husband, protector, provider, a lot of those pieces all in, all in one. Um, and then, yeah, the loss of getting to be part of this community and then all that we have been building for so many years. I mean, it's doing, doing that kind of work almost feels like having another child, you know, it's like for so many hours. Yeah, yeah. Focus. So it was the loss of a lot of things all at the same time and just going, Oh my gosh. And it being so against what was in my paradigm in terms of family and marriage and all of that, I was just like, Oh, wow. So, yeah. I mean, I remember being in, in Macy's one day and I like looked over and saw a shirt that I, that I thought that my husband would love. And I just like started crying in Macy's. So I'm like, I don't have anyone to be giving to in that way like that. There's just something in that, um, loss of so many different aspects, you know, it's not just the loss of marriage. It's the loss of getting to, to think of and love and give to someone. It's the loss of, like I said, provider, protector, family, so many things. And the loss of the future and the loss of, you know, what you had planned so often when relationships end, it's not just the relationship itself. It's what you had pictured it could be. Yeah. And my home and just like so many aspects of it, you know, yeah, myself, you know. my parents' basement. <laughs> it's like, mm-hmm. wow, how am I here this part <laughs> into my life? Like, how is this my life? I remember thinking that many different times, like, how is this actually my life? This is not in alignment with anything that I value or believe or wow, how am I here? See, and I don't know how much you know of my story, but the whole Love Your Story podcast was started specifically because I didn't love my story because of the same things you're talking about. Only I had been through divorce three times and it's not part of my religious upbringing either or my familial expectations or any of those things. And it was very literally that exact same thing of going how in the world did my life turn out like this when I have tried to do the right things? You know, I've, I've worked toward good things. I've, I've fought for all of the things that I was supposed to fight for. I, you know, this is not my life. And it, it was a whole process of learning to love my story and being at peace with where I had been and what I had learned and what had happened and being able to accept the messiness of it um, rather than hate it, rather than be ashamed of it. So I, I really do understand all the things you're saying. So where did you go from there then? You're in your parents' basement and you know, did it just... Still homeschooling my kids at that time, yeah. And was it just, I've got a pick up and move on or was it a space of a knowing you know where were you at yeah it was you know a transformational time because it you know there's the I think it's really important to grieve the loss of things any loss in your life deserves an appropriate season of grieving for it or else you just kind of shove it down or sweep it under the rug and it doesn't go away you actually have to grieve it and so that was an important 
piece of it for me. And then also kind of coming into a place of surrender, like, okay, and this is the reality of just what it is right now. So what do I want to do with that? Do I want to be the victim about it? Do I want to like sit and wallow in it forever? Or like, what does it look like to, to go, okay, I believe in, in a, a force of good. I believe in that the source of love can redeem anything, can take the worst things and somehow use it for good for you and for the world. So it was, it was really beginning to look for what is it, what is it that you're doing in all of this? How, how do you want to redeem this? How do you want to use this for good? So yeah, starting to look for that was, was a shift. So is this where you started thinking more about mindset and taking control of your story? Mm, that was in there a little bit the whole time, but there was also the real awareness that if I don't grieve this, it's actually going to have negative effects. So I think that that mindset was there all the time. And there was, even in, in the worst of it, there was looking for what are the gifts that, you know, what are the things that, that are there that I can be thankful for? And I had this journal that I called my stone of remembrance because I didn't want to forget the little things day in, day out that were happening that were beautiful gifts to me. And I knew it would, I knew that that season would end up being kind of like a blur in a lot of ways. And so I, I wanted to remember the groceries that showed up on my back porch or, you know, the friends that were like, let me take the kids and you go get some time for you or, um, you know, the work that would come in or the anonymous note of encouragement. There's just like daily things every day. There were, beautiful gifts to me. And so I just kept a journal of those things. And what you focus on really does expand. And so I wanted to make sure I had places where I was focusing on things that were good about what was going on. So that was really helpful. So mindset was kind of in there all along and, and the mess and the grieving and, you know, all of it is simultaneously happening. And that's another thing I really learned is that grief is like that. It's not like, all terrible and then you get over it it shows up for me it was the experience like like waves crashing on the shore it's like all this pain would wash up and then I would just allow myself to be in it to cry to be sad to be angry whatever was there and then it washes back out to sea and there's space for joy even in the midst of the waves of grieving just that that was really healthy to just let all of it be whatever it was and let it kind of come in and out and then the waves kind of come in less frequently or less intensely. And yeah, that's been my experience of grief just to let it be what it is. I like that analogy and I appreciate you bringing it up because I think grief is different for all people, but, um, but I suspect that's probably pretty universal. Like you say, you you go to a store and you see a shirt or you hear a song and it, and it generates a memory or something happens. And of course those spaces of loss or um, grief, you know, are going to pop back up. And, you know, one of the things, my son just got home from a religious mission and he is so sad to be home. Not that he doesn't love home, but he so much loves serving the Lord. Like that's his happy place. And he loves mm-hmm. filling the spirit and he loves serving other people. And he loves sharing his testimony about Christ. And so to come home and not be doing that on a constant basis, he feels such a sense of loss. And he says, mom, I know I've got to get over it. And I know I've got to, you know, and, and I'm hoping by Sunday I'll be moving forward. I'm like, no, it's okay. You, you get to feel that loss. You get yeah. 
to live with that emotion and you get to let it wash through you and be a part of you. And because burying it, and he's, he's prone to burying emotion anyway, because he's just a, you know, he's a tough kid and he thinks you're in charge of your emotion and you, you just deal with it, which you are in charge of your emotion through your thoughts and a process, but burying it is not the way that you deal with it, you know, allowing it to be what it is, sitting with it. And I think that that discussion, you bringing up that discussion is important because we all deal with grief in our various adversities and understanding that it's okay to feel it, understanding that it's going to come and go, understanding that you you live with it and it's a part of the experience, I think is important. We don't have to get rid of it. It's it's part of living. Mm-hmm. Yep, sure is. <laughs> that, that <laughs> surrender to that reality is really helpful. I think we really, especially in the Western culture, are, are trained to avoid pain at all costs rather than be able to let it be and see what the gifts are that are get curious about it like we spend a lot of our time and energy and focus trying to divert and avoid it rather than moving through it so much more quickly you know if we make a lot of work for ourselves trying to avoid pain no i don't think that's true it's just okay it's just part of the deal and when we know that then we can move through it quick yeah so through that experience, what are the things that you learned that have helped you most in coaching and supporting other people? Because, mm-hmm. you know, I, I hear you saying, you know, sharing the, the disappointment, the sadness, the loss of that story. And I hear you at the same time saying, I always knew that I was here to support and build other people. But I'll be honest with you, Tally, you cannot feel the empathy that you need to feel. You cannot connect with people the way that you want and need and were, you know, foreordained in in your space to connect with people unless you have trying difficult life experiences that allow you to have the empathy you need to connect without judgment with people so so while your experiences have been you know difficult and I suspect you'll have more but for you who want to be a a leader and a builder of people you're going to need all of those experiences to help you actually make those connections Yep, absolutely. And that's one of the things is, is, you know, I trust people who have been through stuff and come out and still have joy and, and still love well and care about people and make a difference. So those are the people that I have like more quick, I more quickly develop trust with people that I know have been through painful situations. And you're absolutely right. I couldn't be doing the work that I'm doing today to the capacity that I'm doing it without having gone through all of that. I really believe that pain is actually a shortcut for us to get so many things, so many things in life, so many lessons, so many things of like understanding about ourselves, so much empathy for other people, so much comfortability in being able to be with people in their pain, help them move through it quickly. Just sit there with someone who's in pain and not have to get them out of it, not have to, not feeling uncomfortable in yourself with somebody else's pain, but just like, yeah, it's really sad right now. It's really okay. Talk to me about that. Mm. And then you can move them through it. Like, so what are the gifts that are in this for you right now? Also knowing that there are gifts in it as well. There's beauty in it.
So where did you go between um, homeschooling your kids in your mom's basement to when I met you at the Next Level Emotional Intelligence trainings? Uh, I was actually there still. When you first met me, I was still living in my parents' basement. (laughs) Okay. So I met Tally because there's... um, For those of you that listen to the podcast all the time, you'll know my references to Next Level and the emotional intelligence training. But the very first one I went to, the very um, first Discovery Workshop, I met Tally because during one of our breaks, we were out getting warm. The the conference hall had been really air-conditioned and it was cold. And so we were out on the sidewalk trying to warm up in the middle of the day. And she opened up this blanket, spread it out on the sidewalk and started pulling out food. And, you know, people we didn't even like, I didn't know her. She's like, sit down, let's have a picnic. And so everybody (laughs) pulled out their snacks and we started picnicking and that was how I met her. (laughs) That's a great first memory. I love it. So you were still there then. And then tell me a little bit about what you took out of your next level training and and Hmm. where it propelled you into your coaching. Interesting, because I had just started coaching, started my own my own coaching practice just before Next Level, just a little bit before Next Level. That was a whole wild ride, interesting story, beautiful unfolding of, of things. I did not set out to be a life coach. It was not my intention. I had a friend that kept, that kept pushing me toward it. She's like, you are a life coach. I'm just telling you, she sat on the board of a, a master life coach out in California and had co-authored books with this life coaching. So she was in that world a lot and she'd seen me in, a, in multiple contexts. We uh, went through a training, an inner healing kind of work training together and were coaches together for that um, for that training. So we got to, she got to see me in that and then she came to our church a lot. She was just very much in the mix. And she's like, I am telling you, I have seen you in so many contexts and what you do is life coaching. The way that you mentor people, the way that you lead and facilitate, like you have the heart of a coach. I really think you should consider getting your certification and I at that time my mindset was just like I am a mess right now like my life is I'm not coaching anyone are you serious like I I don't think I'm qualified to be coaching anybody's life right now and she she just really encouraged me she's like it's the mess that you go through that qualifies you to be it's what we just talked about you know and she's like and you're the way you're walking through it is so beautiful there's just so many things that align together so I, I found myself sitting in a, a certification program, like completely not planning it. It was amazing. So right before I came to Next Level, I had gotten my certification and started my own my own coaching company. So it was during our, our VIP process that I moved into my own place and really started expanding what I was doing. And it definitely it definitely launched me into more. Um, after what I had I had been through, some of the emotional dynamics and and not feeling like it was safe to be, I mean, I was great at the, the safety and the warmth and the encouragement and support, those pieces of coaching, which are all super important. But there's also the pieces that being really direct and like this thing is getting in your way. This thing is, it is causing you to be in this pattern of breakdown. That part of it I wasn't as comfortable with um, because of, you know, past experiences. It was not... It wasn't uh, good to do that. It wasn't helpful to do that. So Next Level really brought a lot of that out, the direct feedback and and strengthening me in some of those skills. It was really, really beneficial. It was great. So mostly what I'm hearing you say then is that during Next Level, there were um, coaching skills that you acquired and learned through the process of sorting through your own story. 
Yeah. It just made me not dance around things as much kind of like, well, you could work on that. You know, it was just like, Hey, this thing, <laughs> let's talk about it. It's, it's, it's just hurting you. It's getting in your way. It's slowing down your process. And you're, you're really made for this. This isn't actually you. So you said something about acknowledging the things that hold us back without making ourselves wrong for those things. And I really like that idea because I think we don't need more to feel bad about, you know, we're already, people are generally pretty hard on themselves and there's enough expectation in community and culture and family that, you know, that there's enough to feel bad about. And, and particularly when we're dealing with things that hold us back, that, that does feel like, oh no, I'm not perfect. Oh no, this, you know, I'm doing something wrong. Oh no, I'm not moving forward. And that's bad. But I like the idea of it, of it not making it wrong. And that gives us um, power to move through it. So tell us about that idea. Yeah, well, here, this is very foundational for me at the center of all of that is the belief that every single person in their authenticity, in who they most truly are, is just magnificently beautiful, just amazing. And the things that, that are... I don't know, kind of weird about us or that make it hard to connect or that um, don't work or create breakdown in relationships, all of those things. Those are these protection mechanisms that we put up. You know, that's not the true us. And so give me some examples of some of those. Mm, okay. So people pleasing. If you're, if you struggle with, man, I just want everybody to like me. I want to be, I want that sense of approval. That's one of our core longings that all of us on an emotional level have to have the same way physically we need air and water and food and sleep. We have to have those things physically. And so we will do whatever, like we will get to water when we're thirsty, we'll figure out a way, you know, emotionally we do the same thing. So our, our deep desires, core longings are things like belonging and approval and challenge and significance and worth and love and comfort and those kinds of things, we will consciously or subconsciously drive to get those things met. And so if approval is one of those things that you, you maybe didn't get really secured growing up, you're going to keep looking for ways to get that thing filled. And a lot of times, especially when it's coming out of that subconscious place, we're not aware that that's a need we're trying to have met. And so we're not finding healthy ways to get it met. We're doing things like tweak our personality. Like I am trying to figure out what is it, Lori, that you want me to be so that you'll like me more. And how do I put that thing forth? And, and really it's like me putting up this mask and then, you know, everybody has their masks that they wear. Maybe it's defensiveness or maybe it's, um, perfectionism. Like, Oh, I have everything together, you know? And those are the things that keep us from being able to connect. It's not who you most truly are that is any, there's, there's nothing off-putting about our authentic self. When we get into an environment where we can feel safe and we, we all kind of agree to take those masks off and put them down, when we're really looking at who someone truly is, just stunningly beautiful. You just love them. I mean, our experience in Next Level was so much that. That just reinforced this belief in me so much more having those, those environments where we were like, wow, that's who, that's their true heart. Look at the beauty. People that you, you would think, I, I would really never want to connect with that person. They're not like my kind of person that I would enjoy as a friend and it's fine, but you just, you know, you don't make the effort. You don't try to get close. When you see them, 
in their authenticity, you're like, oh my gosh, you're, you're amazing. So yeah, I think, it, I think part of it is that come from like when we can lay our masks down and we can not have those things up. I do this, this experiential in a workshop that I do called discovering identity, uncovering the masterpiece you already are. So it's a workshop and then it's something I'm actually going to do a retreat in October. Um, the same material, just make it an entire retreat for us. But one of the things we do in that is, is we get clear on what are some of the masks that we wear. I kind of walk people into that. And we have these actually white plastic masks and Sharpies and we write the things like perfectionism, people pleasing, whatever it is, anger. Uh, that sounds super interesting. Yeah. And then we do this, this thing where we stand across from each other wearing our masks and just notice how, oh, it's so uncomfortable. It's so uncomfortable having our things that we wear, but it is actually the reality. Like we think when we're in our perfectionism or our people pleasing or, our, you know, I don't care, maybe it's apathy or whatever it is. We think that people don't see through it or we, we think that people don't see it as a mask. We think that, you know, it's this thing that's protecting us, but it's like so clear to other people you know, whatever it is we're wearing. And that is the thing that actually keeps us from being able to have the thing we most long for, which is connection. How do you drive home the idea that whatever these things that are holding us back, that they're not wrong? How do you, how do you teach? Okay. So an experience for me, and this is also one of the pieces in the workshop, it's kind of that, that whole place of once we start seeing these things, so when I started recognizing this, some people call it ego. For me at the time, I was referring to it as my false self, this thing I would put forward to, you know, protect or get, get me what I wanted or keep me safe. When I started recognizing that, I had so much disdain for it. I was like, stop doing that thing. You're doing that approval seeking thing it's so unattractive stop doing it you know I was like speeding myself up for it which was actually just making it worse and at some point I was sitting with my journal I remember being on my couch early one morning I'm a candle going I was doing my quiet time I was journaling and I was in the space of kind of looking at that thing and being annoyed with it and then there was something that just washed over me that that was that like now the language that I have for it is is what we were saying earlier like why am I making myself wrong about this that it's not that helpful <laughs> like me just having this whip out that I'm beating myself with is not it's not shifting things so there was just this shift that happened where I was like huh why is that even there to begin with and realizing that's been there my whole life to keep me safe to to help me have the things that I really really need in life and to protect me and there was just this softening in my heart toward it rather than being angry at it I was really appreciative for it and held in the same space that I didn't need it anymore. So it was this really sweet, almost letting go. And I wrote myself a letter. I wrote a letter to my, I said, dear false self. And then I just wrote this letter of acknowledgement, like, thank you for all the times that you've protected me. Thank you for all the times that you stepped in when I didn't know what to do. And you, like, it was this, it was this letter of gratitude. And then at the end, it was like, kind of became a letter of dismissal, like, thank you. And I don't actually need you anymore. I have this sense of approval from, for me, you know, it was my experience of God, this, this voice of belonging, this voice of acknowledgement, this voice of affirmation that really I wanted to trade out for this 
protection mechanisms stuff that didn't work anymore. And so that letter was super powerful for me. That was really, really a huge shift from self beat up into gratitude and then and I've got something better. Thank you. <laughs> well, and again, having gone through that, you know how to take other people through it. Yeah. You know? That's yeah. how I feel about my um, five steps to reframing your past stories that I have this tool that I put together for my listeners is the same thing. When you've gone through something, you know the pathway through it. You can guide them through that dark forest. They don't have to reinvent the will or struggle to try to find it. You can help them go through that space. And you're also coming from a non-judgmental space like that. You can make it not wrong because you've been there, you understand it and, and you've understood the transition and that it's part of transformation and, and uh, you become a guide. And then having that space where people, whoever wanted to, just shared at the end of, or toward the end of the workshop and some people read their letters and it was, oh, so healing and so beautiful for them and then for all of us too. It's just, it's really, really special to create that, that space to be able to have that kind of experience and then have it shared with other people that acknowledge it and see you, the authentic you. It's beautifully healing. Well, and there's a lot of power that comes from sharing those, that transformation out loud. Yes. Verbalizing. Fast tracks it for sure. So in closing, I, two big things, what have been your biggest struggles and what have been your biggest triumphs? You know, I would say this is, this kind of answers both of those, but one, one of the things has been, this um, temptation to really want to be the victim in my story. There is something about it that just feels really satisfying to be like, Oh, all of these things are because this one person, you know, this, 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 and this things you can totally point to and justify and counselors say yes. And other, you know, other people are like, like verify and it's legitimate and it's validated. And, you know, I can just sit in it and feel like, totally abdicated from any personal responsibility in it. And at the same time, that is, I mean, while that feels kind of good for a minute, it, it is the thing that will keep you stuck, 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 you know? And so really getting that, okay, you know, maybe certain things weren't my fault, but they are for sure my responsibility right now. Like this is my life. And do I really want to spend years of my life sitting around being a victim about it. Like, Oh man, that just takes all of the power that I have and puts it in the lap of another person. And where am I going to go with that? Really? You know, like how far can you get with it? I like those two ideas of fault and responsibility because truly sometimes many times things happen to us. People impose their will and their agency and they do things to us that particularly people that are in high influential places in our lives, they, they have big effect on us. But if we stay in that victim mode, it's exactly like you said. And so while I think it's important to note that stepping out of victim mode doesn't mean that other people didn't, um, perpetuate experiences on you or inflict their agency upon you. I think it simply notes that you choose to acknowledge your own personal responsibility and how you are going to perceive and interpret that story and that you are going to find the meaning and the purpose and the learning that you right. can take from your experience, right. not not the, these are the crappy things that happened to me and I'm going to sit here and wallow in blame and bitterness, you know? 
like if somebody like emotionally so many of these things happen and we just don't take the responsibility because we're saying well i didn't do it and it's somebody else's fault but we're stuck with the the ramifications of it the results of it like if somebody cut you or broke a bone or something they did it but and they walk away you're the one sitting here with the broken whatever it is and so are you gonna just really sit there and be like hey bro good <laughs> like go okay i want this to heal correctly so what do i need to do to get this handled now and so get the support around you that you need to to get it handled in a healthy way to be able to reinterpret it and i would say that's probably the second thing i would i would answer that question with is that just getting clear that circumstance really has nothing to do with our capacity for joy and so getting clear that it's it's not at all whatever it is that happens to us it's our interpretation of that thing what we make it mean to us and we have the ability to shift that at any point we have a result that we're not liking and again i'm not saying totally sidestep the grieving process i think it is important i said that earlier but at some point, you know, like, how am I going to frame this? Do I want to be the victim in this whole telling of this, my story? Is that where I want to end up in this? Or do I want to frame this in a way that that whole thing actually empowered me in some way? So asking questions like, how is that situation or this current thing that I'm in actually set up to be a gift for me to get something that I couldn't get in another way or at another time in my life? said and what a great space to end the podcast on because you are taking the words out of my mouth (laughs) (laughs) have joy regardless of what we're in you can find joy in it so if people want to get in touch with you how do they find you or if they're interested in that workshop you were talking about um, where can they find information on that you know what find me on facebook it's um can we just put the links in for people at the bottom of yep. this? I will have everything in the show notes, but if you just want to mention what yeah. they are. Um, look up Tally Davis on Facebook. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, Coaching with Tally. And I'm going to be starting a, so the retreat's coming up, That ma- the uh, Masterpiece Retreat that I mentioned is going to be in September. In a, and we're going to have it in uh, Asheville, North Carolina. And part of it is going to be at the Biltmore. There's a whole really cool experience I'm excited about for that. Staying in a beautiful home. So that'll be awesome if, if you're free. September, the dates will be in there, times, details. And then also I'm going to be doing a 10-day Master Your Morning Challenge. So just starting your day off with a mindset that really empowers you. If that's something that would interest you, it's free. I would love to have you jump in and we'll post a link for that as well. So would that be on your Facebook page, the link for that? Yes. And I could probably tell you what it is. Uh, it's right here. <laughs> it's right here. You would text mornings alive to let me tell you the number. Mornings Alive to 48421. Just text Mornings Alive and we'll uh, we'll get you going in that track. It'll be fun. Okay, so any parting final advice before we say goodbye? What's your, what's your best coaching tip? Gosh, just 
loving yourself. Like you are the only person who is always, always with you from birth until death. Like have your own back, you know, like you get to love you and take care of you really, really well. Get the support around you. This is awesome. Love your story podcast. Do things that that surround you with love and inspiration and support and people who align with with um, positivity and who see you because who you are really is a masterpiece, is beautiful. So get in front of people who see that in you and draw it out and then do that for other people. Thank you, Tally. Thanks for being here on the podcast. Yes, love you, Lori. Thanks for having me. You're each so amazing. If you want to connect with Tally, her information will be in the show notes and you can connect with her for one-on-one coaching or jump into her Master Your Morning Challenge like we talked about. You can reach out to her at tally at trylifecoaching.com or her Instagram is coaching with Tally. Your challenge for this week is has to do with her parting words, which is I want you to focus on loving yourself and being around people who really see you and celebrate you and acknowledge your personal fabulousness. Um, Maybe that looks like calling somebody, you know, that's really going, you know, that really does see you or going out to lunch with them or, you know, just spending some time or doing something special for you. Um, What does that look like? But do something about acknowledging your own individual awesomeness. Find something you really like about yourself and accentuate it this week. Thanks for joining us today. We will see you next week. Love Your Story is about inspiring and empowering each of you fantastic listeners to find the strength to live your best story. I provided tools on the website for reframing your past stories. We talked about it a little bit in the discussion. It's that five-part course for reframing your stories. And I've also created the 21-Day Life Connection Challenge that every day for 21 days, you get a new tool for creating or connection and possibility in your life story. It's a structured way to help you bring really cool things into your life. Please join us on Facebook at the Love Your Story Groupies Facebook page. We're doing um, a lot of conversations about your favorite podcast episodes, about experiences in the 21 Day Challenge, putting um, groups together that are doing the challenge together. So you have people to discuss what's going on and check in with, and that's kind of fun. So join us. Love to have you on the inside, and I'll see you next week.